hello and welcome to the Heal in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Emmy Marie, a certified trauma-informed coach and complex trauma survivor. Along my own healing journey, I found music to be both a supportive tool for processing emotions and a source of solace and comfort during tough times. On this show, I'm breaking down popular songs through the lens of trauma recovery, healing, and personal growth. So let's dive in. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Heal and Harmony podcast. On today's episode, we are diving into the topic of inner child healing. I think this is going to be part one because I have two songs that I really identify as being about inner child healing. And so for part one today, we are going to be dissecting Taylor Swift's song, The Great War from the 2022 album Midnight's. And this song really holds a special place in my heart and is one of my favorite songs from the album, probably in my top 13 of all time Taylor Swift songs. Um, And today I'd like to share an interpretation that resonates with me related to inner child healing, knowing that it might not resonate with everyone. I think this song could certainly be about a number of different things, but one day I was on a walk and listening to it and suddenly it just clicked to me that I view this as being about a relationship with your inner child. So I invite you to join me on this journey of understanding and acknowledging that the meaning we find in music can be deeply personal and subjective, but this is my perspective. So I think the Great War serves as a profound exploration of inner child healing. Drawing from my own experience as a survivor of abuse during my teenage years, I've undergone a transformative process of inner child and inner teen healing. And through this lens, I think this song takes on new dimensions and significance. So I'm really excited to dive into this with you. Before we get started, just a little personal update. I am a couple days away from heading on a very exciting trip. I'm going to Iceland and Ireland for a couple weeks with Luke, my partner, taking some time off of work and exploring those countries. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, So there will be a little bit of a break in the podcast release calendar. So feel free to listen to old episodes um, or just chill and wait until the next one is published in July. All right. So let's go ahead and dive into the Great War with the first verse. As usual, I can't play the song, so I will read it. But feel free to pause if you want and go listen and then come back if that works for you. So the first verse says... My knuckles were bruised like violets, sucker-punching walls, cursed you as I sleep-talked, spineless in my tomb of silence, tore your banners down, took the battle underground, and maybe it was ego swinging, maybe it was her, flashes of the battle come back to me in a blur. So to me in the first verse, the narrator here is speaking of remembering a time when she was in an abusive relationship or a group or family dynamic. She learned that in order to cope with her circumstances, she had to suppress the part of herself that was deeply suffering. So she is resorting to aggressive behavior, or that's kind of what's coming out, is punching walls and developing emotional armor to silence the vulnerable and grieving side that would later become her inner child. So at the time, she is a young person who is learning that she needs to suppress the part of her that is expressing the suffering. So this part of her is still active here in the first verse, and she's learning to dissociate from it and create distance. So this deeply resonates with my own story, and it's kind of how I'm analyzing this. So when I was 15, I entered into a relationship that subjected me to various forms of abuse. Prior to this relationship, I was an incredibly open, emotional, and in touch with my deeper self kind of person. 
So over the course of those three years I was in that relationship, the immense stress and abuse I endured forced me to dissociate from and distance myself from that emotionally expressive part. So for those who have experienced similar situations, it becomes clear at some point that expressing emotions, grief, anger, sadness can be really futile and even attract further abuse. Abusers don't want to witness your feelings. They prefer to keep you subdued and oftentimes being emotional or expressing your feelings can actually make the harm worse. So I learned to harden myself and push that emotional part away, constantly convincing myself that I must be mentally ill or mentally unstable because of the intensity of my emotions that were in response to the abuse. Now through the lens of the song, I realized that those emotions and the part of me that experiences them were never the problem, but I made that part of me that was emotional and that was reacting to the abuse the problem because ultimately it was a problem with the paradigm I was living under. So as Taylor describes her bruised knuckles, sucker punching walls, and cursing at the soft part of herself, she embodies the shame that arises when you can't or don't know how to leave someone who is harming you. I strongly resonate with feeling spineless, or I resonated with feeling spineless, and believing that I deserved the mistreatment that I endured. So when she says spineless in my tomb of silence, that really reminded me of when you are in that kind of abusive relationship or environment and you have essentially given up, you know, trying to get make it stop or, you know, trying to tell someone about it. And it's easy to feel spineless. And like the fact that you are silent is actually causing the harm, but that's never true. But I definitely was there. Then she mentions in the verse, saw your banners down, took the battle underground. And in my interpretation, this refers to basically internalizing the external battle of abuse and directing it inward. So it's easier to control and understand self-hatred than to grapple with a confusing situation of loving someone who hurts you. If you are in any kind of dynamic where the person you love is the one that hurts you, that is so deeply illogical. It doesn't make sense to our conscious minds and our brains need to figure out how to understand what we're going through. So oftentimes the explanation that we come up with is self-hatred of there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with who I am and that's why this is happening. So that's how I see this idea of taking the battle underground. And from this point on, the rest of the song is really exploring the internalized battle of abuse, focusing on Taylor's inner softness and eventually her unfulfilled childhood wishes. So let's go ahead and move on to the chorus, which is all that bloodshed, crimson clover. Uh huh. Sweet dream was over. My hand was the one you reached for all throughout the great war. Always remember, uh huh. Tears on the letter. I vowed not to cry anymore if we survived the great war. So in the first chorus, I envision the battle Taylor describes as the fight for survival within that abusive relationship. Although there may not be literal bloodshed, the imagery of blood and war serves as a potent metaphor for the brutality of any kind of abuse. The line, sweet dream was over, resonates deeply with the harsh reality of having to mature rapidly from childhood to adulthood due to being trapped in a situation that no child should have to endure and no, chi- uh, no adult should have to endure either. It forces you to create a shell, armor up, and become a warrior in this war of survival. It strongly speaks to the idea that the innocence and sweetness of childhood dreams are abruptly shattered. 
In my own experience, the love I initially thought I found with this person I was with felt like a sweet dream. The love bombing tactics made me believe that they were everything I had ever wanted and our relationship seemed like a dream come true. However, as the abusive episodes unfolded, the harsh truth emerged. The sweet dream was over. Throughout all of this, Taylor reflects on the fact that her inner child, her vulnerable self, was always there, reaching out for her hand, yearning to be seen, acknowledged, and kept safe. And I want to emphasize that the narrator in the song is not staying in the abusive relationship because she is weak or because she despises her inner child. It is because she doesn't know how to leave. She has convinced herself that this is her life and she has internalized the abuse, turning it inward and learning to despise that soft, vulnerable part of herself. She believes that it is safer to hate that part than to face the daunting task of escaping the larger war of abuse, taking that battle underground. And as the older version of herself reflects on the past through this song, she recalls how the vow she made to not shed any more tears if they survived the Great War. This deeply resonates with me as a survivor, as I also learned that showing vulnerability and softness is not welcome in these kind of situations. I adopted a similar adaptive survival strategy where I shut off my emotions and decided to not feel anything anymore. It was a way to cope and endure the challenging circumstances. In doing so, I locked away that soft inner child, creating a barrier that said, I can't make space for you anymore. I need to be tough. I need to be a warrior and I have to make it through this war. So that's what I'm really hearing when she's saying, I vowed not to cry anymore if we survived this war. You know, I'm I'm not going to be soft. I'm not going to really open my heart. I'm not going to let myself feel anything. I just need to get through this. Now we'll move on to the next verse, which is, you drew up some good faith treaties. I drew curtains closed, drank my poison all alone. You said I have to trust more freely, but diesel is desire. You were playing with fire. And maybe it's the past that's talking, screaming from the crypt, telling me to punish you for things you never did. So I justified it. So the following verse, this verse that we're on here, is not as straightforward and I think is more open to interpretation. Nevertheless, I'll do my best to convey its meaning to me. So we find ourselves in the healing process years down the line. The great war of abuse is over, but that repressed part of herself remains unresolved and unintegrated. It's the part she locked away, holding out the olive branch in the form of good faith treaties, symbolizing a willingness to make peace and reconnect with her inner internal experience. So I'm seeing the inner child basically, you know, being in this state of being locked away, but really is trying to connect with the rest of her adult self that had to be so strong and get through the Great War. So the cognitive part, the one who learned to armor up and be a warrior, is not ready for that. You could also call this a protector part. Staying strong and tough is what kept her safe, so she shuts the door, rejecting any treaty of reconnection. Instead, she chooses to drink her poison, metaphorically representing a phase of the healing journey when someone becomes so conditioned by trauma that self-destruction feels familiar or even comforting. There was absolutely a period of my life where I thought I could just move on and deny the existence of trauma. I would indulge in self-destructive behaviors like substance abuse, codependent relationships, and beating myself up for experiencing symptoms. I believed that I shouldn't be struggling because the war was over and I had vowed to not cry anymore. I told myself, well, if I just survive, then everything will be good. And so when it wasn't, I didn't know how to cope with the pain other than drinking my poison all alone or isolating myself and drowning in my own self-destructive tendencies. 
So the next few lines are not entirely clear to me, but I interpret them as a plea from that repressed part of herself, longing to trust others and lean on them for support. So what I'm referring to is when she says, you said I have to trust more freely. However, she finds herself drawn only to people who are harmful, chaotic, and unstable. She continues to run towards those who amplify her self-destruction, knowing deep down that it's not safe or healthy, but not knowing what else to do at this point. She maintains the status quo because she doesn't know how to integrate and allow that part of herself back in that is able to be open and connecting because she had to lock that part away in order to survive. Then comes the line, maybe it's the past that's talking, swinging from the crypt, telling me to punish you for things you never did. To me, this reflects the presence of trauma, the internalized voice of the abuser that lingers in her mind, blaming her for being too soft and trusting. It urges her to punish her it urges her to punish herself and keep drinking that poison as if everything that happened is her fault. However, there's a glimmer of awareness as Taylor or the narrator is reflecting on this in the future. She realizes that she has been punishing herself for things she never did. Someone else inflicted this pain upon her. It wasn't her fault and it wasn't the soft part of herself that made her vulnerable or made her somehow deserve the abuse. It was a deliberate choice by someone else to harm her. Yet she justifies it, perpetuating the war she now inflicts upon herself, leading us back to the chorus. So here we are at the chorus, which says, All that bloodshed, crimson clover, uh uh-huh, the bombs were close, and my hand was the one you reached for all throughout the great war. Always remember, uh uh-huh, the burning embers. I vowed not to fight anymore if we survived the great war. So in the second chorus, the lyrics shift slightly, and from my perspective, it transitions from depicting the great war of the abusive relationship to the internal battle within her during the process of healing. So if anyone has survived any kind of abuse or, you know, interpersonal trauma, and you think, okay, I survived this great war, so to speak, everything should be good now, and then you get to the healing journey, and it's difficult, that I think is very relatable when it comes to this song and this chorus. So throughout this journey, her inner child, that soft part of herself, has been reaching out to her, patiently waiting for her to reciprocate. While she's been drinking her poison all alone, perhaps running back to other harmful relationships or just, you know, not really taking good care of herself. I think it's beautiful to acknowledge that the parts of ourselves we had to suppress and exile in order to survive never truly leave us. They patiently await our permission to be reintegrated into our lives when we are ready to stop fighting ourselves. This realization is what Taylor is alluding to in the end when she says, I vowed not to fight anymore if we survived the Great War. She recognizes that she has been fighting against herself, influenced by the ways she was taught to hate herself, and she no longer wants to continue down that path. However, she remains uncertain that if she can even survive this new internal Great War, as she has internalized shame to such an extent that it feels nearly impossible to pull herself out of. So instead of making the promise to not cry anymore, she's vowing not to fight anymore. And I see this as transitioning from silencing herself, silencing and suppressing her emotions to deciding I'm not going to fight myself or my emotions anymore. I'm going to let them be present. So now we are getting to the bridge where I will go ahead and read. It says... It turned into something bigger, somewhere in the haze, got a sense I'd been betrayed, your finger on my hairpin triggers, soldier down on that icy ground, look up to me with honor and truth, broken and blue, so I called off the troops, that was the night I nearly lost you, I really thought I lost you. 
We can plant a memory garden, say a solemn prayer, place a poppy in my hair. There's no morning glory. It was war. It wasn't fair. And we will never go back. So in the bridge, it seems that Taylor is having a revelation and recognizing that the abuse forced the battle underground, symbolically speaking. She realizes that it's not just about her personal weakness or susceptibility to abuse, but rather a manipulation and betrayal inflicted upon her by the abuser and the toxic culture that we live in. This culture often perpetuates the notion that the responsibility to survive and heal solely lies with the individual without support or assistance. Initially, things were incredibly unclear and chaotic, with burning embers and bombs metaphorically representing the confusion and turmoil she experienced. However, clarity is slowly emerging, and she realizes that she pushed away her own inner child or her own past self in the quest to become this warrior, thinking that it would make her feel whole or strong or safe. And the betrayal lies in the belief that she had to harden herself and harbor self-hatred to survive, when in reality she needed tenderness and vulnerability. Now she encounters her inner child or past self on the battlefield, which can be interpreted as a therapeutic process where she sees this part of herself clearly for the first time. The inner child is depicted as wounded and broken due to the violence she endured internally and externally, the violence from the abuse itself and the aftermath of self-hatred and trauma. From the narrator's perspective, she realizes, I found you and surrendered the fight. At the last moment, she lost. She almost lost this precious part of herself, the capacity to be soft and whole. However, she finds her inner child just in time. There's a sense of grief in realizing that she came close to losing the ability to feel and nurture her own inner child or her own sense of softness or vulnerability. Yeah, so I think this is pretty intense. I also am noticing that, you know, your finger on my hairpin trigger is very interesting to think about the inner child having some role in triggering the adult self and saying, please pay attention to me. I'm not okay. I need your attention through the form of triggers. Finally, getting the adult self's attention potentially at rock bottom to say, hey, I'm recognizing that you are not okay and I'm going to pay attention to you now and stop ignoring you and stop fighting you. So in the next part of the verse or the bridge, the protagonist of the song is seen uniting with her inner child and engaging in the healing processes and rituals as a way of honoring their journey and the wars that they have survived. So planting a memory garden and saying a solemn prayer are symbolic acts that acknowledge and honor the grief that the inner child and the adult self has experienced. When she says, there's no morning glory, it was war, it wasn't fair, this emphasizes the idea that there doesn't have to be a silver lining or any glorification of the experience of surviving abuse or trauma. It's okay to acknowledge that it wasn't fair and to feel resentment about it. You don't have to get over it or make it all make sense. You're allowed to say it wasn't fair. And she's returning back to the chorus with this line, we will never go back to that bloodshed is the first line of the chorus. And this signifies her commitment to the healing process and her determination to never return to an abusive relationship or turn the abuse inward as internalized shame. She is ready to move forward and heal, breaking the cycle and not repeating the past. So finishing up with this chorus, the final chorus, and the last couple lines, they say to that, we will never go back to that bloodshed, crimson clover. Uh-huh. The worst was over. My hand was the one you reached for all throughout the great war. Always remember we're burned for better. I vowed I would always be yours because we survived the great war. I would always be yours because we survived the great war. 
I vowed I would always be yours. So I think this final chorus and verse brings a sense of closure as she recognizes the pain of the past, but affirms that it is over. She acknowledges that her hand and her inner child's hand were always reaching for each other all along, honoring the strength and validity of that part of herself. She commits to always remembering and listening to her inner child's wisdom and embracing the process of reintegrating that part of herself instead of pushing it away. She is making a vow kind of like you would do in a wedding or in another, you know, sacred ritual to say, I will always be yours. You stood by me. You never left me. um, And you are that part of myself that I will never give up. Thank you for not giving up on me. And I promise I will always be yours, which I just think is so beautiful. So this interpretation reflects my personal journey and the significance it holds for me. While it it might not precisely align with Taylor Swift's intended meaning, music can often resonate deeply on a personal level and offer a space for healing and self-reflection. So thank you for listening to my story and insights. I hope that if you are someone who has been through any kind of childhood or, you know, trauma that occurred at a young age, this song can give you an opportunity to acknowledge your inner child, connect with them, um, and just see that there's a part of yourself that has always been there, even if you had to suppress it in order to survive. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free, if you enjoyed the episode, to leave me a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And yeah, I look forward to returning in a couple of weeks um, for a new episode. In the meantime, feel free to check out my free resources and other offerings on my website, which is linked in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, I hope you heal in harmony. Alrighty, bye!